Hey, Magic Mobbers. So before we jump into this episode, we wanted to thank you for the incredible reviews you guys are writing for us across all of the podcast platforms we air the show on. Yes. And in an attempt to show you boys and babes just how thankful we are for that effort, we're going to be choosing our favorite review once a month to receive an Amazon gift card for $100. All you have to do is subscribe to the show if you're not already and then write a review. And so that we can contact you if you win, please snapshot your review and post it on Instagram, tagging our account, which is at the magic hour. Magic is spelled M-A-J-I-C. Yeah, this is kind of a sure thing, guys. We're just kicking this thing off. So don't be afraid to be first. You'll probably get lucky. Yeah, it's pretty good odds. All right. We love you, Magic Mob, and we hope you enjoy the show. Be alive. Greetings, Magic Mobbers. Welcome, boys and babes. It's that time again. It's the Magic Hour, a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster. With the help of world-class guests from all walks of life, we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential. I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. I've been so excited for this day all week because of the guests that we have for you today. You're going to have to get your scuba gear on for this one because she goes deep with her words. Oh, <laughs> I, get, I get chills every single time I hear her music, which is every day because I'm obsessed with it. It is literally life-changing. We were bawling when we heard that in uh, Telluride. But yeah. um, regarding your, your scuba gear comment there, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> you went there, which is amazing. Um, I feel like we've been staying suited up in our scuba suits, our <laughs> scuba gear, so to speak, since we started the show, really. Um, but you're right. She she really does have so much beauty in her words. And we saw that in person while we were at the Telluride Mountain Film Festival this year. She blew us away when she opened up for Oprah. Her oh my music. God. Um, so good. It was so good. So good, you guys. We were literally bawling, crying from, us, from someone singing a song that we'd never heard in God. our lives before. I mean, like, how? That's never she's happened singing before. singing from her heart. Well, so her music became the theme of the festival that this year, and uh, we were just honored to have witnessed her magic on stage and off, for that matter. I I know that uh, it it honestly has been my favorite song since hearing it, and I I know Mercedes, you probably remember me asking you how you would feel about changing our intro jam <laughs> <laughs> to her chorus. You uh-huh. literally did. That's how much I love it. But yeah, let's get her on. Yes. As a child of immigrants from China, she initially performed as an independent artist for several years and appeared on the very first season of the television show, The Voice. She rose to widespread attention after a video of a performance of her song, Quiet, at the 2017 Women's March went viral and became embraced as an anthem for the movement. Inspired by her own experiences with sexual assault, domestic abuse, and trauma as a teenager, she had written the song as a way of coping. 
Along with 26 other singers, she performed seven times throughout the march among the crowd, where it was recorded and uploaded to social media, garnering 8 million views in only two days and shared by a number of well-known celebrities. It became an anthem for victims of sexual abuse all over the world, and within a month, she had appeared on a number of national talk shows and signed a deal with Atlantic Records. She says... I am a survivor of abuse and anorexia and depression. It's been quite a journey getting here. And that song is the thesis of my journey as a woman, as an Asian American, and as a feminist, as a human being who has been silenced in one way or another. It's about helping people who have felt silence reclaim their power. Hers are songs of empowerment and cathartic healing for the displaced and the brokenhearted. She reminds us all that this is not the end. Connie Lim, a.k.a. Milk. Thank you for healing our hearts through your music. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Stoked to be here. Yeah, we're so, we're so, so, so excited. Um, can you tell us about your story that led up to the song Quiet coming out of you? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up uh, in a, you know, a traditional home. My parents both moved from Hong Kong. Um, and my dad had a very like American hero dream journey where he moved here with a thousand dollars and then worked his way as a custodian and as a burger flipper and worked his way through pharmacy school, then um, worked his way through medical school. And like, this is like as if he walked uphill in the snow both ways. Yeah, just, wow. um, yeah and he brought my mom over and my mom also is just this incredible like really strong woman. She actually didn't realize that she had, I think close to 60 to 70% hearing loss ever since oh, she was wow. young. She grew up in poverty. And, uh, and so she always thought she was dumb. She just oh. thought she like didn't understand stuff in school. And finally when wow. my parents were in the States and they had enough money to like go to the doctor and my dad had a suspicion, like maybe you have hearing loss. So my mom then gained hearing back and, and, you know, she's, she's come into her own as a, um, a woman in her fifties and sixties. She's just like, it's been really cool to see her renaissance. But so my background is I come from two really strong, hardworking parents that, um, saw life as, you know, work hard, build a skill, serve society. And I still hold those values really true to me. Um, I just built a skill that they didn't think was, uh, necessarily, um, practical skill. Um, and from my dad, he's a doctor and my sister's a doctor. Um, and my, there's a, there's many people in my family studying medicine and, um, true to the, you know, Chinese American. <laughs> yeah. That's like tends to be a trend in our heritage and culture. And so, um, I, since I was very young, uh, always felt a little bit, uh, like I was too much. I was too emotional, too opinionated, too loud, too goofy, all these things. And so I, I, I rebelled against what my parents uh, wanted from me ever since I was really young. Um, fortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like I grew up with things, you know, uh, things like uh, women with small mouths and big eyes are more attractive because they observe mm. more and speak less. And, mm. and so I remember thinking when I was younger, I was like, Oh crap, I'm screwed. <laughs> um, and um, so 
music was a place where I could express everything I wanted to. Um, because my upbringing was so strict, I didn't know how to uh, confront people or actually express what I truly felt because I was met with a lot of restriction mm. and discipline. So I was trained from an early age to like, you know, keep, keep quiet and, and observe what's going around me and be polite and be amenable to others. And as a result, I got really good at the blank check syndrome, which mm -hmm. is like go into a room, read what the room needs. And I'm, I'm a, just a blank check, whatever number people need, I can write that in. And it became mm -hmm. a, a devastatingly um, useful skill, but also it, it just like wore away at me. And I ended up like, you know, being in my early twenties, not knowing who I was at all. Um, and on top of that, when I was 14, I experienced a relationship that ended up being very abusive and um, was, I was like, you know, sexually assaulted in a relationship. And so the mm. boundaries are really blurred and I didn't understand that I was being raped and um, coerced into uh, physical activities I wasn't ready for. And so when I had declared that to my family, like, you know, something's happened with me and it's been going on for months, uh, I was like crying out for help. But, you know, with the traditional culture, what happened was that, you know, my parents love me so much. And I think what they, they didn't mean to do this, but with this traditional structure that they've been raised in, the response was like, you know, I brought shame to the family. Mm -hmm. So for a very long time, like about 10 to 14 years, I, I just kind of felt like I brought shame to the family. There's something inherently troublesome and, and dirty about me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I stood in my own way in a lot of um, aspects of my life from school to, to career opportunities to um, relationships and friendships. I always had this underlying belief that there's something inherently wrong with me. And if I got too close to people, people would discover how broken I was and I would eventually disappoint them. So I, I, I kept a big wall up and I kept my distance from people and eventually felt very isolated. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I also was not allowing myself to believe in myself. So if there was say a mentor that could lead me down the music industry path and someone that I really looked up to, I had that story playing in my mm -hmm. mind. It's like, well, you're broken and you're going to disappoint them. So I wouldn't allow myself to even like go up to them and say hi. Cause I was like, mm -hmm. no, no, you don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's like all those self-help books and there's questions like, what do you believe for yourself? Like if you could think big, what would you want? And I just felt, felt this like belief ceiling. I felt my brain hit up against the uh, glass ceiling and I was like, how do I get rid of this? And eventually, like mid twenties, I was like, I want to believe that I can do more, that I can that I can be a better manifestation of myself. And so I thought maybe I need to like go to therapy. Cause I I knew I was depressed. I knew I had like anxiety and I knew I had eating disorders and stuff that I was like working through. So I ended up going to therapy and I realized, oh my goodness, the things that I had gone through when I was younger was actually not my fault. Um, and that was like, I almost, ha I almost had to take a step back and be like, ah, that's a little indulgent, Connie. Like, hmm. um, but then I started playing around with that idea. I was like, okay, well I have a performance coming up at this open mic series. I'm just going to like practice and just say I'm a survivor of sexual assault. And it was, hmm. 
And I said it like really carefully as if I was walking on eggshells or like walking on a frozen pond. And, you know, lo and behold, the pond didn't break beneath me. People didn't throw things at me. The world did not end and people just listened. And then I told my story and then I shared, um, shared more of me. And so that was a healing process. And through that therapy and practicing speaking out as a survivor, I started having dreams where um, I was redesigning my childhood mm-hmm. and I had memories of my childhood and I would reconstruct how I reacted. And the little version of me in my dreams was saying the things I wish I had said. So mm-hmm. a, a one particular night, you know, my abuser was hitting me and there was someone watching on the side. And so I said three things in the dream that I had never said before, ever, 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 even to myself was one, I looked at the observer and I said, this isn't right. And two, I need someone to help me. And the observer responded saying like, well, if you say, if we say anything, it's going to get worse. So you should just keep quiet for now and it'll be over soon. And I had heard that a lot is like, keep quiet for now, be over soon. So I said the third thing that I had never said. And I was like, well, I can't keep quiet. Mm. And I woke up pretty immediately afterwards and it was such a vivid dream. And I went to the studio that day to write with one of my favorite co-writers. Her name is Adrienne Gonzalez. She's an amazing um, engineer and producer writer. And I told her about the dream and she was just her, her look on her face was just very empathetic. And she was like, well, I think that's your song. And so I was like, what? Oh, you mean I can't keep quiet. And so then all of a sudden, just like in like the span of two to three hours, this beautiful, like, you know, string of lyrics just started pouring out of both of us and out came the song um, quiet, which is what I ended up singing at the women's March. Um, And I, I had written that song by the end of 2015 and I kept it to myself for all of 2016 at that time, like the music that was pretty big was like dance music and EDM. And I was like, I don't know if the this song is, I was protective of the song. I was like, mm-hmm. it's so, I felt like if I was going to release it, it would get like crushed by this mm-hmm. like big modern world. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't need it to be shared because it honestly, it just helped me feel like I could breathe again. Yeah. I think like survivors, when we go through, anyone who has gone through trauma or abuse like I feel like there's this ball of energy that builds up in our our bodies and becomes like the for me it was like a ball of energy in my throat and if I didn't release it it would just break me Mm -hmm. and so for years I was trying to figure out how to release this this ball of energy and I try to write all these different types of songs like don't tell me not to cry that was one song or like you know different things but nothing really helped until I wrote this song and once I wrote that song I was like I could breathe. And um, so it didn't matter to me if it shared or not. But mm-hmm. um, so it sat there in my in my laptop and, and in my mind and my heart until I saw Trump get elected. And, you mm-hmm. know, regardless of like political lines, I just really disagreed with how he talked about women. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I need to express this dissent. Um, I don't know how. Um, and then a Facebook event popped up about the women's March and I was like, Oh wow. Um, this looks cool. Like women mm-hmm. gathering in a city expressing what we truly want for the society. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. So I immediately like RSVPDS and no one really knew what it was, but 
I don't like being a bystander too much. I really like creating something and offering, even if I, I wasn't on the stage of the women's March, I actually had applied, but they um, didn't respond to me. So mm. um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure they were inundated. Um, but I was like, whatever, we're just going to go on the streets and it'll be like more punk rock and mm-hmm. I'll just recruit people to sing with me. And no one in LA was wanting to commit to go to uh, DC with me. No one really knew what the women's March was yet. So I was mm-hmm. like, no problem. I'll just reach out to a bunch of acapella groups in the DC area. Wow. Wrote, I wrote some sheet music, recorded some audio files and then put it on a Google drive. And then we all shared the information and files and we rehearsed on Skype. And, and then, um, and then we met up on the day of the March and we harmonized. And it was so beautiful. Just strangers from ages like 18, 17, 18 to like 40 some years old, just 26 women together, all different colors and shapes and sizes and, so we went around and started singing the song and, and then um, Alma Harrell happened to walk by and Alma Harrell is a really well-known um, music video director, video director, now movie director. She happened to walk by and cause as she was lost, we were lost too. And I was like, you know what, screw it. We're just going to sing this last one here. And she filmed that last one. That's the one that like got retweeted mm-hmm. by Deborah Messing, Emma Watson, like Tegan wow. and Sarah. And just accrued a lot of views in a couple of days and then my life kind of changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the long, <laughs> long story long. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's amazing though. And I'm sure it seems obvious why that song went viral, um, especially at the time that it did. But what's, what do you think is the reason that it did? And, and what did it feel like for you when that all happened, when your life changed? I, question like why is this happening you know this is such a I was just gonna go you know it's not like edgy and super cool like we were singing acapella on the streets you know um and it was an unknown song and it was like kind of a mid-tempo ballad so I was very surprised but then I kind of took a step back after a few weeks because the whirlwind was just like ah, I don't even know and but I looked at it and you know I wrote that song because I didn't feel safe in my body. I didn't feel safe in my home. Um, I didn't feel safe in my childhood. Um, and I think that is a micro version of a lot of us not feeling safe in our cities or our Mm -hmm. governments, our nation. Mm -hmm. Um, and this type of unsafety, this like feeling of not being safe is actually pretty universal right now. I think a lot of countries are experiencing, kind of this rise of, of hate and fear and also yeah. this rise of love trying to counteract it. So it felt very um, spiritual to me. I, I, now I, I think about destiny. I think about how I, there was a light shining and I just happened to hold the prism at the right moment in time and I just like a rainbow ricocheted mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all the being there by chance or not, you know, depending on how we view life. Um, And I also am very, very sure that when a person um, achieves healing, or not achieves, but when a person dares to heal him or herself, he or she or they develop um, this natural ability to heal others Mm -hmm. without even trying. And um, so, so my... I think one of my main philosophies in life is like inner peace begets outer peace. 
Um, and, you know, as, as we feel pretty worn out by the news and activism and all these different things, the good news about uh, what artists can do is that sometimes if we just help people heal their own stories, the, the piece will resonate um, outwards naturally. And so that's where I'm kind of sitting right now. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thanks. <sighs> um, <laughs> taking it all in. Right? It's like light subject matter. Just light. <laughs> keeping it real light this episode. <laughs> no, it's all very, very needed and, and yeah. very uh, just hits to the heart. So you kind of just got to sit for a second. Yeah. I, I, I like joke that I'm a scuba diver. Like, oh my god right. yeah that's so <laughs> weird connie because it's literally in our intro of you we talk what? about yeah i, I mean like, I, this is well weird. in the intro i say um we got to put on our scuba gear because connie goes deep <laughs> wait you way, literally say that literally we say that wait listening audience just so you know we we, we record those intros before our guest gets on with us so she has no idea that we because I, had, I, had to I don't know diving. if you had talked like used that term with Tom, but uh, I had talked with Tom and we like joked about that. And so I put it in the intro and then Mercedes was like, where the hell did you get this from? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I, I actually did. Okay, so that's how it happened, maybe because I, I like told Tom, I was like, well, if you want to hang out with me, you got to get out your scuba gear because you're going deep. <laughs> that is amazing. That's really good. It's really I good. might start saying that before my first date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're reading the invitation as soon as you arrive <laughs> hold your nose we're going no that sounds worse hold your nose yeah, we're going right. down doesn't uh, yeah, yeah. translate on a first deep. date yeah i mean it could if you want it whatever could. you want you <laughs> that's really oh funny oh my god well your your music does already say so much but as a victim of abuse um what do you want to tell other survivors when it comes to healing I think that, like, you know, one thing, this is not from me. I actually heard this from Oprah at Mountain Film. With, yeah. You know, Yay. <laughs> Crying. Um, healing, healing cannot happen until the trauma is acknowledged. Mm. And, um, and I think for anyone who is, has experienced uh, abuse, some of us don't even know we have yet. It may be just a feeling of discomfort or self-blame. Mm -hmm. I think if like you're walking around in the world feeling like you're doing something wrong by being, then maybe something has happened in your life to make you believe that. Mm. Um, and 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 that you know we all we all are enough, and that is something that I have had to teach myself over and over again. Um, I feel like if some people are walking around the world trying to prove their value through accomplishments and beauty or different things. There's also maybe it's time to slow down and look at why. And mm -hmm. so I think sometimes people don't even know they were abused and it mm -hmm. takes a while. And that's, that's okay. It took me yeah. 14 years to acknowledge that. And, you know, some people take longer than that and we're all mm -hmm. kind of on our own timelines, but yeah. Yeah. Was it hard for you in your adult relationships to open your heart due to that abuse? Oh my goodness. Yes. I just, I like, like to get super real and like very, mm -hmm. like let's get into the nitty gritty. Yeah. I recently got into a relationship where I realized like when I was getting intimate with a partner, um, I would 
naturally villainize them in a very Mm -hmm. subconscious way. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I would assume that that my partner was there just to please himself. Mm -hmm. And then I would say things to shame that partner. Like, Mm. okay, like this is, is this like a, Girl, you can get like, as explicit okay. as you want. That's okay. the beauty of podcasting. Okay, so so like you know, I think because I was fourteen and I experienced um, sex in a way that the guy was using me for his own pleasure. Mm-hmm. I have dated wonderful men in my life, but if they like, if they came before I did, I would assume that they were just using me to get mm. there. But maybe mm. they didn't want to and they felt so embarrassed, but in right, my yeah. head, I naturally assume, oh, okay, I see you. Mm. I and relate I to that a lot. Do you relate to that? Yeah. And I actually have said things to partners to shame them. And I've yeah. looked and it just happened in my recent relationship. And the person was like, expressed to me like, Hey, so by the way, you know, you kind of like pointed out that and it like made me feel really bad. Cause I really didn't want to, I really wanted to please you, but I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't hold it together. I couldn't keep it together. And I felt so bad because I actually remember saying things, but it was like my inner wounded younger woman saying that to my abuser, but I have Mm. been saying it to all these past relationships. So I think about the recent relationships I've had and I was like, man, I think I've shamed each of them. Mm. And I, not on purpose, you know? Sure. So it, it's kind of a powerful realization because then I'm like, oh, wow, like it goes both ways. Like these people that I get into relationships with too just want to be loved as well. It's not just like me and my feelings. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That Mine is, is so powerful. complicated um, because I was molested um, for about a year starting at age 12. Oh. And I noticed that when I started, um, I wasn't sexual until I turned uh, 21, actually. Oh. Um, and I was pretty prude after that because the person who uh, first found out about the abuse when I was 14, um, her response was, I bet you liked it. I bet you liked his fingers in you. And so it gave me this feeling of like disgust with anything sexual. So I became very prude. But then when I turned 21 and did become sexual, it still felt, um, I still felt so much shame. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up a lot of years just dating sex addicts back to back actually, Mm -hmm. but it was all about them. And so I did what you, what you said. Um, and I relate to that a lot, but I, I just more turned it into resentment towards Mm -hmm. them and kind of like, um, like I wasn't worthy of being able to feel the sexual pleasure because it was like, for me, it was shameful. It's, it's Mm kind of hard to articulate, but it turned into actual, um, like sexual oppression. Um, suppression for me mm-hmm. um, to where I had to really take some time to enjoy being sexual by myself for a while to where I was allowing myself to feel pleasure. And then, and then now I'm still searching for that in a partner. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's um yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, I can relate to that a lot. I feel like because uh, when we get abused our our boundaries get blurred Mm -hmm. and then we no longer know who to trust like can we even trust ourselves right and can we trust these partners are with so I felt resentment too but I would like harbor the resentment silently and then it'd come out in weird ways so yeah um yeah I I now am like learning about pleasure and being present and what's Mm. helped me is like deep breathing actually like throughout Mm. the day 
mm-hmm. trying to find sensuality within everything I do actually. Yeah. Because you know, like it, I, after my episode, I actually became overly sexualized because I was like, Oh, well that was taken away from me. No big deal. No big deal mm. that my Virginia is taken away. Like sex doesn't matter. It's like nothing. And so I would try to prove that by engaging in a lot of it mm. and pretending I didn't care. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What about, so you said you struggled with body image as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those struggling with body image? It, I remember being at the apex or nearing the, the climax of my, my anorexia. I was in high school. It was like my freshman year. And this woman came to school and she was talking about eating disorders and I asked her, I was like, when does it go away? Like, when does it end? Mm. And she said, it doesn't really ever end. It just kind of changes. And I'm not sure about that perspective because I think saying that it never ends is, is kind of a daunting thing as a kid to hear. But at the same time, I also appreciated her saying that because then I was ready for the long journey of healing. So maybe I would say that it's a, it takes a, it can take a very, very long time and the body image issues will morph into different things. Um, and you know, I would like binge and overeat at times and then be super anorexic. And, um, it's like we overeat because something is eating at us. And, and, I think the truth is like it, it's a sense of this anxiety and and self worth and I yeah. that practicing of of breathing and kind of um, uh, being with the body mm-hmm. and dancing or just even putting a song in the living room and just kind of like mm-hmm. flowing and stuff can be super therapeutic um, and. And also our bodies are really capable of changing and adapting. So for a long time, I thought, you know, I'm not capable of being strong. I've just been like anorexic and thin and weak and stuff. But like now I do CrossFit and I really enjoy Mm -hmm. having a relationship with my body and watching it and honoring it. And so Mm -hmm. and listening to my body rather than trying to control and suppress and and, and silence it (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because the body's a really good teacher. So, yeah. Wow. And it, that reminds me, um, really a bridge between what you're talking about there with struggling, um, or past struggles with body image, but also, uh, what you said about breathing into your sensuality and, and mm-hmm. taking the time and space for your body to do that. It reminds me of a, a previous guest. We had, um, London Angel Winters who said to relax your tongue. Mm-hmm. So like in any moment you can remember relax your tongue and it not only relaxes you all the way down into your your yep. nether regions yeah, yeah. um mm. but it just ties it's a mindfulness practice practice you know ties you into your actual body so you're thinking so minutely on what you're where you're holding tension in your body that's amazing i love that um yeah as a singer too um i'm really grateful for the practices that i learned in terms of breathing like when we breathe and we, our our chest raises we're actually constricting our breath it, our our chest should actually be pretty still and the movement yeah. should be coming from our uh, our stomach can 
push out because our diaphragm is pushing down the muscle yes. right underneath our lungs. And actually our lungs stretch all the way back towards our ribs. So if you put your hands behind on your ribs, like your, our lungs are back there as well. And so when I breathe, I try to push against the, my, the back of my ribs mm. and take deeper breaths that way. And, and for singing clenched jaws, because I was really stressed as a kid and anxious, um, I, I would like grind my teeth. And, and so when I would sing, I had like a really small like opening. So my teacher would said, hey, like stop chewing gum and also and, and be, be aware of how you're clenching your jaws. So actually, most of the time when I'm at rest, my teeth are not closed all the way. Like I kind of leave a little wow. bit of space between my yeah. teeth so that there's like a relaxedness. I need to do that. Yeah. I need to do that. I did it. <laughs> We're all yeah, stretching was... our jaw. <laughs> Feels good. But that, that does remind me of um, Jade and I, you know, we spent a long career modeling and especially standing on stage sometimes under the hot lights of film and all that. And you probably know too, like smiling. thinking about, yeah. yeah, thinking about how to you know, look a certain way, even though you may not feel that way. So specifically for me, a big part of where my own panic and anxiety was born was on stage after years of doing this. Mm. And finally, it caught up to me. Basically, what you're talking about, you know, is only breathing in the top half of your lungs. Mm. So because when you're sucking in and you're trying to mm. look like you have a flat stomach and you're trying to hold a posture and smile and, you know, clench your teeth together and all those things, your body's going, are we in a seriously dangerous situation here? Because it feels like it. It sure right. feels like it for hours yeah. at a time. And That's... eventually it causes that, you know, flight or fright. Mm -hmm. fight or flight response mm -hmm. and uh then and then you have a breakdown like me and you figure out that you need to breathe better <laughs> right I, I, that's so interesting because you know i can relate to that i'm sure we all can like when i grew up i i felt this pressure to look a certain way and i think that's like one of the top forms of shaming women mm -hmm. is is through body shame and then for men is through vulnerability and that's what Brene brown says and mm. um i really do appreciate i you know uh, but billy eilish the way she dresses, she dresses in really baggy clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's kind of like her, one of the reasons I've heard, um, is because she doesn't want people to be judging on her on how her body is like how, mm. it, cause she's mm. like, I want to be able to gain and lose weight and in, in peace. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. Nicki Minaj one time said, let me fat in peace. I always wonder about the balance, you know, like, do yeah. I cloak myself in Billie Eilish sweats? Do I mm. allow myself to wear a little crop top? You know, it's so interesting. You know, I'm trying to, I'm in a phase right now of trying to take back that agency. And cause I, yeah. I dress like a tomboy these days. Like I, I, it's been like this armor for me. And I think right now I'm allowing myself to kind of let down the guard a little bit. It's like, how do I bring yeah. that femininity back? Yeah. Cause I don't want to hide it for others like I, I want to be able to just do yeah. whatever if I want what do you I love whatever that you, you want said that I had two c-sections back to back like in 12 months apart from each other and so oh and my, my skin was just stretched out so I still wear crop tops even though I've got a the belly button of a yeah I know like I don't know if it shows on film but I've got loose skin around my belly button and yeah. I'll still wear crop tops knowing that like that's completely visible just because this is what I really want to wear and I really like this outfit and I'm proud of what my body did and I wasn't able to do that a couple of years ago but now I don't I just feel like I I am hoping it'll make other people more comfortable too yeah. to show their post baby bodies and wear what they think 
makes them feel sexiest, even if it doesn't look the way that it looks in Instagram, yeah. maybe. But I do I love that. I feel you, Connie, on like because I think because I work in this realm where I, I pretend to be this super hyper feminine woman, even when I'm not always that person, you know, for for work, for modeling purposes. When I'm not doing that, I tend to have very masculine clothes mm. and dress much more masculine. And I'm more attracted to the colors in that realm. I don't wear pink almost ever, you know, and mm. it's it's not because I don't like those colors or anything like that. I think it's just one of those things like I have to have some sort of balance. And that's where I decide to to find it. Yeah. Wow. So go ahead. I was yeah. going to say that. I, I I can I think that balance is really healthy, like allowing ourselves to play with different energy levels, like mm -hmm. the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And I yeah. hope that, that men and genders in between can play with whatever energies yeah. they want. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love the way you said that. I think that that's part of, you know, these these terms are getting thrown around too much, but I think that's part of um, lifting our men up from this culture of toxic masculinity that they've grown up in for so long into you know call it modern masculinity or healthy masculinity or whatever you want to call that but where they can reside somewhere that it's okay to explore the balance that is within them you know the masculine feminine the yin yang and the the alpha omega and all those things that make us these that can make us these amazing incredibly balanced mm -hmm. humans mm -hmm. that do good in the world because when we're super imbalanced and we're we're um extreme to any regard it seems to do negative you know it seems to be the opposite for us yeah. so yeah it always comes back to balance like when i deconstruct like different ways like when i'm not when i feel like i, I might be pushing too hard or something it always comes back to balance um so i think that's a really really wise thing it really, it really does. I like, I know that sounds so cliche, like oh, it just balances everything, but it, <laughs> you got to come back to it every time. Mm -hmm. So this kind of um, bleeds into our next question here. And this question is, I guess I, I'm going to say it's of incredible interest to me because it brings light to so much of what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is to highlight both sides of an issue, give it equal space to be worked through, balance, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and since we're in the middle of this conversation with you about, you know, stepping into our strengths as a woman and your song was so much about that and so much a part of that movement, um, including the momentum of the, the hashtag Me Too movement, you know, no longer keeping quiet about the harms that have been done onto us. I feel like this is kind of the perfect moment to bring up that a close friend, friend of all three of ours, Tom Shadyak, premiered a film just last night that you mm -hmm. you attended the premiere called Brian Banks. Um, Heart-wrenching, true story about a young high school football star with a promising future in the NFL who was wrongfully accused of rape and spent over 10 years in prison on, and on strict parole before the woman who accused him confessed that her entire story was fabricated. So I'm curious of what your thoughts are regarding this predicament, especially in relation to the recent pressures, I guess I'll call it pressures, the, the hashtag Me Too movement has brought upon our judicial system. That's a really good question. Um, so I watched Brian Banks last night at the premiere 
for the first time. And, you know, the whole team behind the movie has actually been doing screenings with like women in entertainment to understand like how, how is this, how does this come off? Like, are we being respectful? And I Mm. think their intentions of being respectful and to create nuanced conversation in a mainstream movie, um, I really do applaud them. I think, um, I think it was really wise of them to, um, you know, choose to wait to release this movie and to allow for the Me Too movement to really, really like continue its momentum. And at this point, I think it is a really great time to bring in nuanced conversations about how the Me Too movement can look. I think that, you know, personally, pointing a finger and identifying someone who is a, a, you know, a, a predator, um, it is a, a, a crucial step in the healing process, but it is not the end step. Um, I think the end step is uh, to figure out how we can heal our men and heal our women mm-hmm. in, in the society. Mm-hmm. And um, there are also the nuanced uh, parts of the Me Too movement where there are false accusations um, and the percentage is super small. Um, and, you know, I when I watched this movie, I felt like the focus was actually about how our justice system is not um, working for a lot of our Americans, especially um, mm-hmm. our brothers, uh, our black brothers, and mm-hmm. um, just pe- men in, of color who who are, you know, you know, Brian Banks was 16 and he was tried as an adult and, um, and, you know, they were 16 years old. We, we've all, we've all made mistakes uh, in our teen years and, you know, for, for the, for the girl to accuse him, I, I, I can empathize, you know? And so I think in the film, they have a couple of female characters that help round out this conversation. There is another character, um, who becomes like a love interest who shares her story of being raped and um and there's empathy with her story as well so i think the point is is that trauma comes in and shows its face in many different ways and Mm -hmm. forgiveness and empathy and compassion are very important in these nuanced conversations why you know i don't believe in i don't believe in shaming um and shaming people who have done harm. I think we, we need to identify them and to hold them accountable and also then to figure out how do we... What's their story? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because hurt people hurt people. So mm-hmm. let's identify where the hurt is. And I don't... Yeah, I think... I was very protective of the, the female character who, you know, um, accused Brian Banks in this film. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I, I feel like they did a, a respectable job of, of portraying that. And um, I'm curious to hear what other people think too. Um, but I do think it's important for us to stand in the gray and to have yeah. detailed, nuanced conversations. If we are going to post about something online, we cannot just blanket statement. Right. We really have to take the time to burn those calories, to write the extra words, to write Mm -hmm. the extra details because we need that specific information. And this film does that. Yeah. Mm. I love that you say stand in the gray. That's kind of our motto Yeah, that's our bio is journey into the gray with us. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) We're very aligned. Yeah. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) So – 
I mean, what is it that we, I guess you kind of answered it there, but maybe you have something more to elaborate on what we do to better address the issues around rape so that this type of thing doesn't continue to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a really great question. And I, I think that listening has always been, has lately been the most powerful answer mm-hmm. that I can find with any um with any tension I feel about the world and I'm trying to understand how I fit in it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do I go and do I sing for them? Do we flash mob? Do I write them a song? <laughs> I'm like, or I can just listen. I can just yeah. read and, and give people, you know, and you know, there's a, a phrase of like, we must believe all women. I think mm. I, rather, I think it's, we must listen to all women and, mm. and give people the respect and the space we must listen to all men and all genders in between listening. Um, I think listening is one of the most advanced skills um, that we haven't quite developed yet as a society. And I think we're learning. I think a lot of us are actually focusing on that. I'm sure you, you guys yes. have had conversations <laughs> about listening because uh, there's a lot of power. Sometimes we will like have conversations and we're sometimes I'll be like thinking about what I'm going to say before someone has even ended their story. And then I, now I just go, I'm sorry, I was in my head. Can you say that last part again? Because right. I really need to capture what you said because mm. there's a lot of, um, yeah, God or slash the devil's in the details. And it's really important for us to give space for people to be able to share their de- details. Yeah, that yeah. resonates very, very deeply. Very I know much. with both Jade and I, mm-hmm. but um, <clears throat> I think that one of the most feminine things you can do, you know, speaking of the feminist movement, is to be the person who does receive, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, is that actually the person taking things in. So listening and and for, like you said, all genders, all types, everybody, being the, the, the listener and the person who's willing to take the time and energy, because it's energy spent when you do this, to see and hear people clearly so that they can feel for the maybe the first time ever that they have been seen and heard and so that yeah. they know their story has been relayed. Yeah. And, and relate authentically, you know, and when you give people that type of space that allows them to come with their most authentic self, I think, too, instead of trying to, you know, be this showboat or trying to be this thing just because they want to be seen so, so badly. Um, And, and it comes to mind the, the saying we say a lot on the show, you know, be interested, not interesting, which, man, that's Mm. like a superpower in Mm. itself, you know, and, and that basically means listen. (laughs) (laughs) it truly does and it's so funny like uh, the song that you know essentially introduced me to you both is the chorus is i can't keep quiet and i think that's a great a great necessary step for for especially women or people who have been silenced and then yeah i'm like now i'm I'm gonna keep i'm gonna choose to be quiet in this moment because i need to learn there's so much to learn when the song went viral, I was like, I have so much to learn. And people are like, you voice of the resistance. I was like, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm just one of the many in this choir. And if I don't listen to what other notes other people are singing, mm. you know, my, my note so will beautiful. be off and there's some dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my, that chorus is in my head all the time. And my three-year-old rewrote it. <gasps> She no, wrote, what did she read it to? She, she said, uh, I cannot sing like you, but she sings, 
I want a bottle, but my mama says no. <laughs> you had, your three-year-old daughter uh, she would. wrote that? Oh yeah. To, to your exact tune. <laughs> my son sings the chorus the way that you have it. Aww. And then my daughter sings it that way because she's so just super amazing. sassy. And she just so wants her cute. damn bottle. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah. I know. Before we move on to our question from our magic mob, I was curious. Um, you covered the song. Um, I think it's from the eighties. Um, Ooh, child. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it, for those who haven't heard it. It goes something like, um, "Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things are gonna get brighter. Mm-hmm. Um, someday we'll be walking in the rays of the beautiful sun." And I was curious what brought you to cover that because your music is so much about, um, you know, overcoming abuse and, uh, you know, making it through as a survivor. And that song um, touches home for me there in that place of my life, because I remember this is just one of many examples, but I remember being about three or four and coming out of um, me and my parents, we shared a bedroom, coming out of the bedroom and the middle of the night and seeing my birth dad just laying in his vomit and there were just drugs everywhere and multiple strange men everywhere. And, um, my mom picked me up and we left to go to a hotel. And I remember going into hotel, into a hotel and her saying, we, we can't afford a hotel after all. So we went back like into our little beat up orange car and she sang that song to me to like mm-hmm. make me feel better. Mm-hmm. But every time that my birth dad would abuse us, she would sing that song. Mm-hmm. And so it's so, it's so interesting. Like mm-hmm. from how I already um, feel when I hear your music and then to hear you sing that song and I wasn't even expecting it. It just came on Spotify. It just, it just wow. broke me. So I'm curious how, how you came to cover it. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, you know, Ooh Child was originally by the Five Stair Steps and and then it just got covered by so many different artists. Um, it's such a classic and I love songs that are like lullabies that you can mm-hmm. sing without music and they just yeah. easily come out. And um, I actually um, was tapped by Alma Harrell to work with her on a song to help honor mothers um, mm. because she was um, she became the first woman asked to direct Procter & Gamble's Olympics commercial. Oh, um, wow. And then so she wanted to bring an emotional um, voice onto the commercial. When she first called me, she's like, hey, do you want to do uh, a commercial with me? I was like, oh, commercial music? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I just write like these emotional tunes. I don't know. Um, but she's like, we're looking for an emotional tune. I was like, great, I can do that. Um, and so we were talking about like the the project was to honor all these different mothers that spend their days like protecting Mm. protecting their children and uh, and advocating for their children from disabled children to children going through abuse or poverty and um and so we we went through and we 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 decided that Ooh child was going to be the best song just it's so timeless and yeah. as a music a nerd the the chords that are used for the song are very unexpected and uh, mm-hmm. very non-traditional and super genius. So they just, this song has taught me a lot and it's such a simple tune. It grounds me and it happened to also come during, you know, the March for Our Lives movement and looking at the kids rising. And so when I sing that song, I actually picture them singing it to me 
Mm. Like I do feel like our youth do take care of us sometimes. Yeah. So it's like this interesting kind They're of our greatest crystal. teachers. Right. Yeah. 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 But um yeah, so that song then took on a life of its own. So actually the way that I decided to record it was because of Alma and my friendship that budded from the women's march mm. and then our desire to honor mothers. Mm. So so it makes sense cuz that yeah. that song is tied with you and your mom. Yeah. Mm. That's wow. so cool. Well, our our uh, magic mob sent in a question also yeah. on one of your songs, and this is a song I haven't um, heard yet. So maybe you can break down where what what it's about. Yeah, um, generally, uh, Lacey on Instagram says her song. So Connie's song, Black Sheep. Mm. gives me so much strength it's like a song to my inner child i love i'd love to hear her story behind it so oh that's really cool so black sheep is a song where i go like look up you're not alone you'll make a home of your own um and you know take these sticks and stones and build a home of your own is is one of the ideas and every warrior grows from her battles and scars Mm. don't Mm. don't you know that i love you the way that you are and I'm really proud of that song because I was able to write it for myself. It was like a, a love letter to myself. And I don't think I would have been able to write it a day earlier than the day mm. that I wrote it mm. um, because quiet went viral. Then I realized I wasn't alone because I felt very alone. I have always felt this black sheep narrative, always mm. been different from my family, always felt like I'm, I'm a scuba diver, right? Like, and I need deep connection and with my family we connect in other beautiful ways, but with the depth that I require to feel love. Um, as a kid, I just was left wanting for more. I didn't realize how lonely I felt all the time. Um, so once Quiet went viral, I met all these other black sheep all over the world. And, and people would call me sister. And what I realized is that my family is actually this global family. And, and so that was a lot of healing. Like, you know, Lacey's probably part of this journey of mine of feeling less alone if she has been part of like any social media interaction with me. Um, yeah. So then I felt this like hope and this strength and I was like able to sing from a place of like, oh, this is, you're going to find a home because I started finding my home within the world and within my body again, you know. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can, this is me. Like, I, these are my thighs. These are, this is, these are my hips. And mm-hmm. this is my throat that sang this song. And these are the people around that, val- like, also understand this song and that are messaging me and calling me sister. So mm-hmm. I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. It really does sound like a wise woman. Like I said before on the show, we all have an inner child and a wise woman. And when we grow and heal, our wise woman then teaches our inner child to not react in um, conflict the way that, you know, our inner child is like crying out and with anxiety and stuff. And that song really does sound like this, like inner, this inner wise woman that's like soothing her inner child and like loving on her. I love, I love the inner child and uh, wise woman. Um, I love that. Uh, dichotomy that you're you're talking about because I do feel that way I have my wise woman sits on the left side of my brain Mm. so when I meditate I actually hear both voices talking to each other um, and I kind of Mm. observe the conversation and my wise woman is to my left and my inner child's to my right Mm. Um, and that's really really interesting 
I, I was I was saying that it's like a darker voice in it, like my ego and my my optimistic voice. But I like the wise woman a lot more. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna take that's that. That's interesting that you're because your left is your feminine side and your right is your masculine. That's what that's what um, is taught, you know, spiritually is that this represents your your um, feminine. So that's interesting that you already had your wise woman over there, mm-hmm. and then your inner <laughs> child on your masculine. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. What yeah. what does your spiritual life look like? I am super spiritual. Um, I am. I did not. Grow, I, so I grew up with the religion of Buddhism. Um, in the uh, it, and it's a more superstitious practice from on my parents' side. It's like ritualistic, where we go to the temple, burn incense, and there are these gods that like we put um, incense on um, and you know bow to. And it, it was so many. It was so ritualistic, and also I just I remember being like eleven and telling my mom. I looked her in the eyes when we were at the temple. I was like, Mom, I don't really believe this and I don't want to do it this way Mm. and I will forever love my mother for giving me that freedom she's like okay um Mm, and so I found my own way um I feel like the universe is very connected um and you know I I think there's a lot of wisdom in nature nature Mm. feels like a really beautiful teacher like nature doesn't hoard doesn't take more than it Mm. needs and the things in nature that do that end up dying off and trees teach me a lot um, because they're so communal and they pass nutrients through their roots and really take care of each other. And so I feel like, you know, um, I, I feel like there is a, a beautiful force that gifts us with darkness and we turn those darknesses into gifts and into how we heal each other. So yeah, it's a, it's a spiritual way of looking at things. And um, the older I get, the, the more, the more I look at the world that way. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Wow. I like that. Yeah. So we have a pick your poison. We do this on every show since yeah. we're the magic hour. Yeah. <laughs> pick your poison from Ray on Facebook. He asks, would you rather know the uncomfortable truth of the world or believe a comforting lie? I would rather hands down know the uncomfortable truth of the world Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, much growth. There's so much growth, yes, and like so much potential to to understand and, and to challenge myself. There's this type of lethargy that comes with this comfortable lie, um, and mm. I don't feel comfortable with that extra weight of of safety. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel, feel like the exact same way. Yeah, I mean, I feel that that's a big part of, you know, even what this show is about <clears throat> is digging up some uncomfortable truths. You know, we call it mm-hmm. seek the pain for positive gain. But I mm-hmm. will say that some days I'm like, <laughs> I know. look, let me live in this lie for a minute. I need a break. <laughs> it's too much. It's too heavy out there. Like, I just need to chill for a minute. Yeah. So Yeah, uh-huh. balance is everything, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like we just said, I have a poster on my wall and, I was, and my friend Yumi Sakugawa is this amazing like spiritual illustrator and storyteller she has this illustration of uh, cartoon lungs and says sometimes Mm -hmm. it's okay if the only thing you did today was breathe and that within itself is activism too because you know who says that we have to always be plugged in we're like you know the act of just choosing yeah what we want to do in that moment is is activism 
Um, as long as it's done out of love and especially self-love, I take like news fasts. Like I'll spend, mm. I'll be like, okay, it's time for a news fast. I did a news fast for a week and a half, or and it stretched to two weeks. I was like, that's too long. <laughs> I was like, okay, I need to come back to the world. I need to go and catch up. So now it's like three days. I'll do three days of news mm. fasting, and I'll allow myself to be that person that doesn't know what's going on, and mm. I'm actually practicing to not pretend I know things like when someone's like, did you hear about the thing? I was like, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> and just allowing myself to just not be the most informed at that moment. And just so that I can be present with people. Yeah. My, I feel like my activism is like listening and honoring people in the moment. And mm. sometimes the news, because it is profit driven, mm-hmm. um, does not serve us well. And that's, yes, sense. yes. We have to, Plus we that. need to, to fill our cup back up. I mean, sometimes we need a little, as long, I feel like if, if we're doing, um, if we're being conscious about where we're taking breaks and how we're taking the break, whatever, you know, if it's a news fast or whatever, that's the the mindfulness there, the consciousness that you're you've got going behind that is what's going to bring you back around, so that the big picture is that you're going to continue to progress and move forward on yeah. whatever your plan is or the goal or you know the betterment of all or whatever your service is. Yeah, right. right. I love that. Did you yeah. connect with Sophia Bush at Mountain Film? Yeah, and I've met her through. I, I I'm going to do this again this year, but this is a tour called Together Live. It's not yeah. in Austin. I'm so bummed. It is. What is I it? Think, oh, Houston. It's in Houston. I know. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'll look at the date and maybe maybe yeah. I can let make me know if you want to come. I Wait, do want to come. Talking about okay. <laughs> um, the Together Live tour. Together. Oh, Together Live. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like so many people that are like they. Um, I don't even know what to call them. They just uh, light, they keep the light, you know. Light workers. Yes, the light workers um, are on that. Cheryl Strayed, um, Glennon Doyle, her Mm. wife, you, Sophia. There's so many. It's only missing Ellen. Yeah. (laughs) Oprah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I I would love to go to that. but yeah, you you remind me of Sophia a lot, so that's why I asked. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah I I remember listening to her on stage. Uh, that's a compliment because you know during the tour, I listened to her speak, and after backstage, I was like, I really love your brain and your heart. <laughs> Y'all have the same. <laughs> Y'all have the same brain and heart, I feel. So I'm basically just really into myself. I'm like, lady who's like, I love you. That's really funny. That's why you recognize it in her. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. So there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Um, I would say... I would say to keep singing, just keep mm-hmm. singing. Yeah, all the time. Just keep How singing. old are you then? You're talking to. Um, I would say like six, seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just to allow that to be, and and I, I use that as my way of healing and and seeing the world. And so I would just, you know, maybe I would say like listen to that voice that says you're a singer because I mm. it's on the left side of my brain again like when, <laughs> whenever I was a kid people were like what do you want to be when you grow up and I had a little voice that'd be like a singer and I would suppress it oh, I, my, mm. I thought life was like you have this voice on your, the left side of your head and you just silence it and then you say what other people want you to say I thought that was what life was 
Hmm. And then I realized that it doesn't have to be that way. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you could whisper, or sorry, if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Ooh, <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, oh man, I don't know why this is coming up, but the giving tree. <laughs> oh, I, my kids love that book so much. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like something really heartbreaking and also very real about people who give and such a beauty and to mm. understand the taking and then the, the receiving and the sick, the, the, interdependence we have together. I think it's just a great book to understand, like to teach empathy, like how much people can, are able to sacrifice for each other and mm. how much nature sacrifices for us and how we inherently are a bit of takers as humans. And so to be conscious of that. Mm. Yeah. Man, I love that. Yeah. That's just such an interesting concept too, because I feel like we're always trying to divide ourselves between, you know, who's a taker and who's a giver. And again, comes mm-hmm. back to balance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Mm. I would say, um, I mean, I say this to myself all the time is you are enough. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I know it's like not the, you know, it's it's out there that that phrase is out there in the heard. world, but it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's out there be because heard. we need it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's <laughs> going around because people are like, you know what? I really needed to hear that, so I'm saying it out loud. To everyone <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a recent one that I, I've been like going back in my journals and stuff and I was doing some dream analysis and then from one of them came this quote is a storm is a cha- a rainbow's chance to visit earth. Mm. So I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot too. I like that, I like that a lot. I like it because yeah. it's so visual. Yeah. <laughs> I love rainbows. I have a rainbow necklace on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Connie, before we let you go, where can people find you online? You can find me um, on Instagram at, at Milk Music, M I L C K Music, um, and on Facebook. I'm mostly active on Instagram, and then I send out handwritten um, email blasts. Like hmm. I'll scan in handwritten letters with illustrations. Wow, and stuff. I'm so, getting on that. Yeah, so that's like <laughs> I call it the Gentle Rebel mailing list, and so they can go at uh, MilkMusic.com and, and look there and. Um, and sign up for that there. Um, I also have a site called I can't keep quiet.org where people are sharing their stories of survival and then, oh, wow. and people are responding to the, the stories with art. Um, so people can check that out. The site is pretty rudimentary right now um, and I want to evolve it, but it, 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 the content is all there. So if people are searching for stories or just wanting to think about how they want to share their own, like that's a good starting place. Mm, beautiful and i do um we did hear how your name milk came to be your singing Mm -hmm. name came to be um but i love the idea that it's you know mother's milk is so nourishing and thinking of it that way and of course it's it's a how do you explain it the the letters of your last name spelled backwards l-i-m and then your first two initials yeah m-i-l-c-k Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what my family gave me, making it my own, but not abandoning what they gave yeah. me, honoring it. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's like what females create to 
nourish the next generation. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Connie, your work and, and the way you're relaying your personal story so openly with the world and with us today is helping people heal. So I just want to say thank you so much for, for showing us how to use our stories and our own creative expression to bring more light into this world. Thank you. Thank you. I really, <laughs> I really had to fight back tears a lot during this I one. It, I don't I know. I can see if it on you. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were multiple times where I was like, if you cry, you're going to, it's, it's going to flow. It's going <laughs> to, there's going to be a flood. <laughs> so just chill, take some deep breaths, continue with the conversation. Yep. Relax um, your tongue. Relax your tongue. I did. I did have I to do that. I don't know if that helps with crying, but I feel like it might. I'm going to try that. It did for anyway, me. Yeah. All I right. Like, so. I mean, I like, the thing is like lately I've been like, okay, well, if I need to cry, then I need to like go cry, do my thing, you know, let Oh, it I out. normally let myself cry. Yeah. Whatever. I cry wherever. I cry all the time. But for the purpose of this interview. <laughs> now you sound like a psycho. <laughs> I like well, crying. Well, I just cry every day. No, I do. I cry when I watch Ellen. She makes me so happy. I I just cry. It is Um, really therapeutic. It is like an actual release. Yeah. No, I like crying, but um, but any not not from pain. (laughs) I haven't cried in a while. Let me go take a bite of wasabi. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, what's your magic trick today? So I think many people actually sit and stew while in traffic, even though they know that that's not going to do anything to change the situation. So what if you could look forward to traffic instead by making it the place you get some of your most important self-work done? Like, that would be pretty cool. Just instead of um, thinking of traffic as the bane of your existence, you look at it as actually the the reason you've had exponential self-growth in your life. So here are some of the things I've employed during my time in traffic. First off, and it may seem obvious, but turn off your music and whatever else you got going on while you're driving and just kind of be still with your thoughts, be with yourself. I don't know if you smoke or chew sunflower seeds or whatever else you do during driving, but try, you know, do nothing for a little bit except for drive because we can usually, especially if we're sitting in traffic on our way from, you know, work to home, which is a drive we could probably do with our eyes closed. Please don't close your eyes doing it, but (laughs) sit in silence and actually listen to your thoughts. Um, it's, It's really meditative because you're kind of just in a mode of getting from one place to the next subconsciously. And if the thought of of meditating in the first place or being with yourself that intimately makes you antsy, just just trust me here for a moment and stay with it against that uncomfortable quiet and see what comes up for you. Um, You can focus on your breathing to pass the time. Uh, Just really anything until the start's the the thoughts start flowing and I know they will. So, and, and by the way, when they start flowing, you can ask Siri to record a a voice note of anything Mm. that pops up for you. So you can spend more time journaling on it later so that you're not texting and driving because we want you to get to your destination alive, of course. And um, I might also add that if you're a sleepy driver, like I sometimes am, I literally get I don't know, narcoleptic, I guess is what it's called when I start driving sometimes after work. Um, and you need something more active for your brain to focus on than just sitting in silence. You can listen to positive affirmations. Um, Deepak Chopra has some amazing ones on uh, you can get his album like on iTunes. 
you could listen to a self-help book or, of course, you could listen to this podcast, just saying, <laughs> or anything else that gets you in the mood of becoming, you know, a better human. So I, re- I seriously, though, I think that these self-growth traffic sessions, as I'm calling them, have largely been behind my own growth. And um, because I've spent a lot of time doing that. I mean, I, I mean, you spent I spent a lot of time in traffic. So therefore, I've spent a lot of time trying to translate that into something positive. And I'd say that they're even a big reason why I decided I could start a podcast with Jade, you know, doing the research I did during those drives, um, reading the self-help books, and then employing some of the techniques that I could while driving. So just getting that time to to reflect is so important for positive progression of our lives. So instead of fighting against traffic or standing in or, you know, fighting against standing in a long line at the DMV or wh- wherever you can find a line or, or having to wait for any reason at all, really, when it comes up, embrace it and use it for good. That's my magic today. What do you I, got, Jade? I love that because I you do. I just I it's so when someone constantly complains in traffic, I'm like, you're making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, we're here. Let's make the best of it. You know, yes. let's play a game. Let's talk. Let's listen to something. Like Anything. traffic doesn't actually bother me. And then I was in a long relationship where it was the person would go in full on rage. Mm. And I was like, what? We're here. Yeah. There's this nothing not we can do about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I love this. So my magic is pulled from one of our favorite ladies, Maddie Moon. Um, I'm going to read what she said uh, on her Instagram post. She put, you may not believe me yet, but honest to God, it really truly 100% does not matter what your body looks like. Having a body is the most incredible instrument and gift from the divine. You have a tool that allows your skin to rise from the chill of a cool mountain breeze, smell the nostalgia of warm biscuits, have head-to-toe shivers from orgasmic pleasure, hear I love yous from the special people in your life, feel the curvature of a sanctioned little spoon, big spoon cuddle, witness a passing sunrise before others awake and read literature that sticks with you from childhood. It's a miracle what you can experience. Love it as such. And I just, Mm -hmm. when I read that, I just fell so much more in love with life and with being in my body and with everything that every day offers. And so I thought like, I just want everyone to hear this on our show, especially on this episode. Um, So my invite though is to maybe well, first of all, rewind, listen to that again, because it's freaking good. And then um, and then love on yourself this week through touch. So you could do like a morning oil massage on your legs, which I love to do. You could do a CBD foot massage at night, which I love to do. You can masturbate because it's freaking, it's, it's really good for you. Um, and it's a, it's a form of self-love. You can do a scalp massage, um, immerse yourself in your own touch this week. However, you want to do it and just celebrate your body. Yeah. And just think of it as self-love and self-care. Yeah. I like that. And I might also add that the oil massage on legs, that, I mean, just using oil on your body is, I think, um, Super nourishing, especially if you get a, a you know clean oil yeah. that works well with you. I like and you to can... get coconut oil and just put a a touch of essential oil in the glob of coconut oil and rub it all over my body. 
Ooh, so it smells super yummy, mm-hmm. too. I like that. I use sesame oil, and I'll tell you mm. specifically the reason I use sesame instead of coconut or anything else <clears throat> is because of a previous guest of ours, Sahara Rose, who is an Ayurvedic expert. Mm. She talks about how knowing your dosha, so knowing what type of Ayurvedic medicine essentially to use for yourself, what type of diet, what type of oil to rub on your body literally is one of the very important parts of ayurvedic medicine yeah yeah and so sesame is a warming oil and because my body is what she calls uh avata dosha Mm -hmm. so it's it's complicated people but go back and listen to her her episode if you want to know the breakdown on all that ayurvedic medicine i'm gonna look Um, that up hopefully mine's coconut because i like to do coconut oil it might be so because i'm vata i i I have the tendency to be cold. And so coconut's more of a cooling. It's I think she says that would be better for um, what Chris is. Let's see. He's a pitta body. Hmm. So I don't remember which one you were. But in any case, for me, sesame oil, because it's warming, would be most um, nourishing for my Hmm. skin and body and all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Yes. All right, Magic Mobbers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us, you guys. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been thus far. We appreciate all your feedback and really want to know what's lighting you up. We really do, you guys. And we release a new episode every Monday so you can catch us again next week or you can go back right now and listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library. We will meet you there. Until then, be Be alive. Your face, know your place. Shut up and smile, don't spread your legs. I could do that, but no one knows me, no one ever will. If I
big thank you to at Raytone Royal for our intro jam and to John Garza from Real in Motion Productions for producing the show. Stay magical, friends. <laughs>